0: And welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you could have access to all of our station's content. And please be sure to jo- uh, follow Joe and I on social media, primarily on Facebook and YouTube. Wherever you find us, please like, subscribe, share do all that fun stuff and today we are very pleased and honored to be joined uh by John Pridmore and it is a story that we are we think that all Catholics should hear uh John has been around for a long time in the Catholic circuit telling his story uh witnessing to the to his Faith and the truth of jesus christ i want to introduce john to our audience real quick uh, for those of you who do not know him john is the son of a policeman and he was born in east london and although he was baptized a catholic he had no christian upbringing and after his parents divorced uh john got involved in petty crime and at the age of 17 he was sent to youth prison After his release, he did security work at concerts for artists like Michael Jackson, Bruce Springsteen, and Queen, and then moved on to nightclubs and bars in and around the Capitol. He eventually drifted into the London underworld and soon became a drug dealer and a very hard man, involved with notorious criminals uh, for whom stabbings and shootings were common. He was heavily involved in organized crime and was was descending into a spiral of violence. And one night, and we're going to get into it, one night at a busy bar in central London, he almost killed a man. And a few nights later, by the grace of Almighty God, he had, a, he had experienced a powerful, powerful conversion. He soon became involved in Youth 2000, an international spiritual initiative for young people, which is particularly active in the Catholic Church. And he now lives in a Christian lay community just outside of Dublin, Ireland. John Pridmore, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe, my friend. Thank you very much. A
1: pleasure to be on here. Excellent. John, we always start with prayer. Would you lead us in a prayer?
2: Certainly. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of life in you. We thank you for your unconditional love for each one of us. And I just ask you, Lord, to reveal to us how you see us, how you see each listener who's listening to this podcast today or this radio. Help us to really see ourselves as you see us, without judgment, without condemnation, but with mercy and understanding and we ask this for the intercession of mary our mother mary take each one of us by the hand and lead us into the heart of your son where we might find that love that we desperately need in our lives Hail mary full of grace the lord is with thee blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb jesus Holy, holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, of God pray, pray for us sinners, sinners now, now under God. the hour of our, our death. death. Amen. Amen. We invoke our guardian angels that all the seed God sows through this program may be planted in good soil in our hearts. And we also call upon our confirmation saints and all the army of saints in heaven. All you holy
1: angels and saints, pray, pray for, for us. Them. Amen. Amen. That was wonderful, John. Thank, Thank you. you, John. Um, John, I, I guess a good place to start is with your book, from Gangland <laughs> to the Promised Land. In the book, you mentioned you had a very happy childhood, and then you fell into crime. How did that begin?
2: Yeah, I, I was brought up um, in a normal family, and as I said, I was baptised a Catholic, but not brought up in any way, shape, or form in the faith. But at the age of ten my world sort of fell apart quite a bit, because my parents told me that I had to choose who I wanted to live with, because they were getting divorced. And the two people I loved and trusted as always being there, suddenly, um, I couldn't trust and it crushed me. So when I look back, I think I made an unconscious decision inside that I wouldn't love anymore. Because I really thought if you don't love, then you don't get hurt. My mum ended up having a nervous breakdown, I went to psychiatric hospital. My dad remarried. and my stepmom thought the best way of bringing up a kid was by beating them each day. so there was a lot of violence. And I think that just added to my pain. So at the age of 13 I started stealing. and again, when I look back, I think it was a cry for help because I wanted someone to see how unhappy I was. Um, But because my dad was a policeman, he just added to the beatings. And at 15, I was put in a youth prison. I came out of there and I left home at 15. And my only qualification was stealing. So that's what I did. At 19, I was in prison again. And there was another change in me. I think the way I dealt with all the abuse I suffered in my childhood is I just turned that abuse into anger. So I was always fighting. So when I was in youth prison, I was on like 24-hour, sorry, 23-hour solitary confinement. And it was a bit like having a mirror put in front of me. And because I hated who I saw in that mirror, I hated myself and how I was living my life. I really thought about taking God's greatest gift, my own life. But God must have been there, even though I didn't know it, because I didn't take my own life. But I came out of there more angry and more bitter than ever. And I really thought, what you want out of this world, you take. And I started doing concerts, and it soon led you into doing clubs. And I met some guys at these clubs who seemed to have everything. You know, they walked in, everyone stopped. They had the best girls on their arms. They had the best cars. And in my naivety, I thought, this power... And this, like, um, credibility would fulfill me and make me happy. And so I started working for these guys. And, you know, one of the first jobs they give you is to go to Dover, which is a port in England, and to pick up a Land Rover. And you was told where it was and what, you'd given the keys. And then you brought it back to London and you got paid five grand. And it was obviously filled with cocaine. And this sort of added and got bigger, and eventually, you was running your own jobs. And at the age of 27, I had everything the world says makes you happy. I had the penthouse apartment in St. John's Wood, London. I had the sports cars. I was earning so much money, I couldn't spend it. But inside, there was this overwhelming sense of emptiness. You know, I remember St. John Paul II said that the person who gives us the desire to search for him in our hearts is Jesus. And no matter how rich or famous we become, no matter how powerful we become, we will never be truly satisfied or fulfilled in life until we have that personal relationship with Jesus. Well, because I didn't have that personal relationship with Jesus, I tried filling that emptiness with what the world offers. So I was on crack cocaine, smoking dope like it was going out of fashion, drinking really heavy, gambling. I was also very promiscuous. I remember one girl I lived with for six months. She knew no more about me the day she moved out than the day she moved in. Because even though people like looked on me as being a hard man, inside I was a scared man, scared of being rejected for I really was. So I wouldn't share my feelings with anyone in case they rejected me like I felt my parents would reject me.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, you, your your life um, is it really, really is extraordinary. I mean, I mean, you are the prodigal son, and we all are to one degree or another. Um, obviously, your story I think is much more compelling because a lot of people in their minds they might say, "Wow, that you know that's really you." I mean, you fell deep into it. Let's 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 be clear as as you're obviously describing a former drug dealer, gangster turned Christian. Can you describe a little bit, John, uh, in some greater detail about your conversion? You said, obviously, the the the, the, for I would say for most people who have fallen to a certain degree is that inner. That inner emptiness, okay, that we look to, to fill up. That's the, usually the beginning. Start there, John, and talk a little bit about sure some of the details that yeah. led yeah, to Yeah, and
2: I conversion. expect that emptiness, you try and feel, like I say, with the drugs, with the gambling, with the promiscuousness. But obviously, as some of your listeners probably know, it, nothing fulfills you because the only missing jigsaw piece is Jesus. But I had no concept of that. And violence was every day, you know. And I was working a club that we part owned in the West End of London. And I ended up hitting this guy. And the only reason I hit this man with a knuckle duster, you know, those brass knuckles, was to impress an underworld boss who was there. Because it's all about pride and ego. And you have to be the most hardest. You have to be the most crazy. And if you're not showing that to your bosses then you don't get the credibility that you need. And so that was the only reason this poor man got hit. And I truly thought I had killed him. And the thing that scared me the most is I didn't care. And as I questioned what on earth have I become that I could take someone's life and not even care, you know, I was thinking he he could have had a wife, kids, and I just didn't care. And I came in this normal night, and it was normal, probably about a week after this event. And I became aware of a voice speaking to me. And I knew that voice was God. And he was telling me the worst things I'd ever done, horrendous things, evil things. And it was almost like a continuous, um, you know, God speaking to me about how I betrayed him, how i had hurt him. And the more he spoke, the further away I felt I was getting from everything that was good in my life. You know, I didn't realize that God is goodness. And so it was almost like I was being projected away from God. And the only way I could describe it is I knew I was going to hell. And I knew I was dying there and then. Um, My chest felt there was a lorry on top of it, which is a sign of a heart attack. But I knew I was dying there and then. It was just and proper that I go to hell. There was no argument. There was no conversation. And out of pure fear and self-preservation, I cried out for another chance. And I said, up to now, all I've done is take from you, God. But now I want to give. And as I said that prayer, I felt immediately lifted up. And I walked out of that apartment, and I said, a second, well, yeah, I really felt lifted up. I felt the Holy Spirit. I felt that in this field and there was two things that I really understood one was that God loved me and the second was that God had a plan for my life now the only person I knew out of faith was my mum and I didn't see a lot of in them days, I might give her an expensive present when I felt guilty but this night I went round and told her what had happened to me and she said to me she had prayed for me every day of my life, I didn't realise that um, and she said nine days before this, she had prayed a novena to the patron saint of hopeless cases, St. Jude. And it was on the ninth day of my mum's novena that I truly believed I heard the voice of God speak to me in my heart. I don't think I'll ever forget the tears rolling down my mum's face as I told her how much I had found God. And probably washing away the pain and hurt that I caused her. And my stepdad, who died the other year, he gave me my first Bible. And it was the old Bible where Jesus' words were in red. And I just opened it up randomly, and the first page it fell on was the story of the prodigal son. And I knew it was me. I knew everything I'd taken from God I'd just wasted. And in the same way that he was starving, I was starving. And I wasn't starving for food, and my money had run out. But I was starving to be loved for who I really was. Because as some of your listeners know, you know, we wear so many masks to impress people, and that was my life, to impress everyone around me. You know, trying to be this hard man that I wasn't, trying to be this ruthless guy who I wasn't, and all masks. And I, I always remember St. Francis of Assisi. When he first found God, he, for three years he said the same prayer, who are you and who am I? And he must have wore a lot of masks. Um, there's a true story of a man who takes his son to school every day. And every day he takes him to school, he says, I'll be here waiting for you when you come out. And every day the little boy looks through the classroom window and sees his dad waiting by the gates, goes running up and gets a big hug off him. And he says, I'm always there, I'll be here for you. i am never there, leave you. Well, on this one day, there was a massive earthquake. I'm sure we all saw it on the TV I read about it in the newspapers, and by the time this father gets to the school, the school's a mass of rubble. But there, buried underneath the rubble, are all the children. So this father starts pulling off the stones one by one. You're still dead. You're wasting your time. After 24 hours of this, this father's hands cut to bits by the stones. Everyone gives up. But he carries on searching, fighting. After thirty-six hours, he has a whimpering sound, and he calls that army. He is the papa, papa. And as he removes these last few stones, all the children are still alive. And his son was heard to say, "I told you my father would be here for me. I told you my father would never stop searching for me." Well, how much that father loved his son. I realized God the Father loved me a million times more. And he had never stopped searching for me, even under the rubble of my sinfulness. Mm. So I spent, I started searching and I started wondering where the true faith was because I wasn't brought up in any religion. Mm. And I met a priest who told me about a retreat that was happening. And I'll be honest with you, I thought a retreat was lying on the beach, Bacardi Breezer, joint, nice girl, (laughs) just chilling for a while. And I went on that retreat And that's another story in that.
0: Let me just uh, take a quick break for a second. You're listening to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe cool. a Fascinating conversation with uh, with John Pridmore, um, and we are way into the breach on this one. So, uh, go ahead, Joe.
1: I, you know, hearing that story reminded me of a gentleman I used to work with. His name was James, of Irish descent, and uh, came from a good Catholic background. But James didn't practice, and I remember him telling me he was a nervous type of guy. And he was a lawyer, and he couldn't sleep, and he was going to lose his job, and he told me, did not practice the faith, but it, it reminded me of what you said. He told me because he knew I was a practicing Catholic. He was lying in bed in agony because he was feeling anxiety and he, and he heard a voice and it was a woman. And this is what it's, I always remember this. It said, James, we love you and he immediately fell asleep. And it reminded me of the story that you're talking about, how God is always there, even when we're not there for him. He's always there. And people have to realize that. I think that's the turning point for people. They have to know God loves them, John. Very much. And, yeah, and I expect even
2: though I had had that initial encounter with God's love, it was another encounter through this retreat. I went to that retreat. And like I said, my idea of what a retreat is was nothing like a retreat is. Mm -hmm. And I got there and the first talk was um, by a priest and it was, give me your wounded heart. And I remember as he was speaking, I was transfixed on a crucifix. I just couldn't take my eyes off of the crucified Jesus. And, And as he was speaking, he was saying that every sin we commit is like a wound on our heart. And for the first time, I realized why Jesus had died on that cross. And it was like Jesus saying to me, John, I died personally for you. And I was crying for the first time since I was 10. I hadn't shed a tear since my parents told me that I had to choose who I wanted to live with. But at that moment, when I really tasted God's sacrifice for me, I couldn't help but cry it was like he reached into my heart that was like a stone, and immediately his touch turned it into flesh again. And I came out of that talk, and somewhere in that talk I'd really discovered the gift of Mary, that she only wants us to know her son, because like all mothers, she wants what's best for us. And so I said a prayer to Mary, and I had my rosary in my hand, and I said, what is it that your son wants me to do? And I felt a whisper in my heart, to confession. Now I'd never been to confession in my life and I was 27 years old I think I'd broken every commandment there was and I was petrified mainly of what the priest might think of me and you know it was interesting because I had all these thoughts and some of the listeners might have the same problem but all these thoughts why I shouldn't go and shouldn't be honest and I got another voice as clear as day which I felt was our lady saying there's only one person who doesn't want you to go to confession. Listen to his lies or listen to my son's truth. And I thank God every day of my life that I went to confession. And I was there an hour and I left nothing out. And at the end of this confession, this priest put his hand on my head. But it wasn't his hand, it was Jesus' hand. I could actually feel the blood running down my face. And it was like, the only way I can describe it is our heart is like a window. And on one side of that window is God's unconditional love pouring down every second of every day. But on the other side of the window are all the things we do wrong. And eventually we can't see how much God loves us. All we can see is how unworthy we are, how worthless we are. Well, I took all that sin and I ticked it out at the foot of the cross. And it was like I was alive again. I could feel the wind on my face. I could hear the birds singing because
0: the sin had killed me but the confession that brought me back to life i think it's so important message john um there's a lot of people out there that maybe they're reluctant to go to confession it's a message that we have to broadcast and shout particularly to catholics is that there is no sin you could commit that that that, that christ will not forgive if you're humble and you're contrite give it to him. John, your story is beautiful. Like you spent an hour. All right. I had a similar experience when I first came back to the church. Let's say, you know, when you, when you're in a place of darkness and you're the prodigal son, a lot of people have that quote unquote, big confession you know the big one that you can remember i remember mine great irish priest up in new york father bob connor somebody recommended i go see him and it was it's the most like you said it's the most liberating thing but i was fearful i was fearful like you were because i I, you know i feel like is is i mean i got to confess that and i got to confess that and god's never going to forgive that got to get rid of that stuff catholics need to know if you're holding back from going to confession because you feel like there's something you can't confess don't think that way. Christ will take your sins. No matter how grave, he will take your sins. That need for confession and the need for that grace is something that Joe and I on the show all the time, John, we try to emphasize to people. You know, it's confession. It's Eucharist. It's confession.
2: Well, it was interesting because to, my greatest fear was what the priest might think of me. And as I eventually looked into his eyes, he was crying. He wasn't judging me. He wasn't condemning me. He was Jesus to me. And, and, and I really believe that that grace of God's mercy so transformed me. For three days, I couldn't stop crying. I just could not stop crying. Just continue. I think it was like, but anyone there who's maybe not confessed something that they're really ashamed of, you know, or really embarrassed by, get rid of it. You know, it's like that. I, I remember when I was about seven, I got a fawn embedded in my hand, totally true story of rosebush fawn. And my, I was seven and I was petrified of my mum getting a needle and start digging, you know, like your mums do when you get a splinter. So for three days, I hid it from her. And for three days, I couldn't sleep. On the third day, she saw this fawn. And in one second, she removed it. And I was seven. And I thought, what an idiot. Why didn't I just go up to her and say, Mom, I've got a fall. No more pain. But say I left it in there for a year or 10 years or 20 years, how much pain and misery would it have caused me? Well, when Jesus looks on us, he knows every sin we've ever committed, and they're like thorns piercing our hearts, and he longs to remove them from us. But the only way he can remove them is if we give him permission. St. Mother Teresa's most favorite prayer, give God permission. And when we give him permission, he's not content. With removing that sin. He wants to fill us up with every grace and every blessing. When I went away from that confession, I wanted to dance, I felt so free. (laughs) And then there was, you said about the Eucharist, then there was a mass. Now, I was never brought up as a Catholic, and I had no understanding that Jesus was truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. And I said a simple prayer. Now, maybe my eyes have been opened because I've been to confession, But I said, if this is truly you, Jesus, then show me. As I received Jesus, and I must say this, I knelt on both knees, and I received Jesus on the top. And as I received Jesus, the only way I can describe it to you is every good feeling I ever felt in my life, including how I felt when I walked out of that apartment and felt God's love for me including how I felt when I went to that confession and felt God's mercy for me, was just magnified and magnified. And I knew that was truly Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Not because anyone had taught me, but because Jesus himself had shown me. It was like I tasted heaven. And I had an infused knowledge at that moment that everything the Catholic Church taught was the one true teaching of christ so i had no problems with anything the catholic church taught after having that my eyes open my heart open to that incredible grace that out of every church catholic church in the world jesus dwells in that tabernacle and i knew i'd be a catholic to the day i died
0: Excellent. Amen, brother. So, you're listening to the front line with Joe and Joe. John Pridmore, we're having a fascinating conversation. John's talking about his journey, um,
1: and we want to keep going into the journey. So, I'm going to hand it over to Joe. Just to switch gears, John, you mentioned the prodigal son. I'm sure you've read the Bible through and through. Um, What other characters in the Bible do you relate to outside of the prodigal son? Now, John, just
0: real quick, we have about uh, four minutes to the break. So, I'll, uh, you know, and then we can pick it up on the other side of the break. So, go ahead. Sure.
2: Um, I would say one of the people who liken me to now is St. Paul, Um, you know, because of what I do from evangelization. Um, and, uh, And, you know, I would say this, that when I am given God's authority, I really try to use his authority. You because know, it's not my authority, it's his authority. And so some people liken me to St. Paul because I'm quite fiery. And the other person I absolutely love in the scriptures is King David, this little shepherd's boy who no one notices, no one knows, and yet he becomes one of the greatest kings of Israel. And I just love the whole story. And, you know, weak and broken like most of us. Um, men especially but i just feel that that incredible love he had for jesus sorry for god the father now for jesus but for god the father he never ever lost that even he's falling in the mire even committing murder you know he never lost that love and that desire to be gods and he's a bit like saint paul as well where he says why do i do the things i don't want to do And don't do the things. And I just think some of the characters in the scriptures just fill me with a real um, desire that I can do it, you know, even though I'm a failure at times, even though I fall down, even though I get it wrong, they did. Do you know what I mean? And and so I really, really enjoy the characters. And most of them, uh, you know, even Saint Peter, always saying the wrong thing, always sort of putting his foot in his mouth. But after receiving the Holy Spirit, just invincible, do you know what I mean? Don't not crucify me the same as my saviour, crucify me upside down, do you know what I mean? Just like, you know, bring it on. And I just think the transformation to be Christ's real men, and I think the world needs real men who are willing to be courageously virtuous for God. And So yeah, I think some of the saints in our scriptures really give us that power if we're willing to call upon them to not make the mistakes and not worry about the pain and the hurt that sometimes we cause ourselves and others but to leave the mercy to God's, sorry, to leave the past to God's mercy, to leave the future to God's providence and live the now in God's love Mm. and so yeah, I really uh, you know, there's so many characters in the Bible, I, I love Zacchaeus as well You know, a tax collector to me was very similar to what I was like, you know, (laughs) that sort of hated figure. Um, And yet, the moment he meets Jesus, he wants to give away everything. Someone said once that the most best kept tree in that area of uh, Jerusalem was that sycamore tree where Zacchaeus met Jesus. Because he made sure that that tree was kept really well, because it was where he met his savior. I, I love,
0: I love the story of Zacchaeus because it, it, I love Jesus's. Uh, I love Zacchaeus. I'm with you on that. Um, I have kind of a similar story as far as my background is concerned. Not, not, not living the most moral or ethical life in my profession. Okay, um, I love Jesus' response, Zacchaeus. I'm having a dinner at your house tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Comes right now. Jesus is just like right now. Listen, I hear you. But just so you know, uh, you know, call the wife. Tell her I'm coming over for dinner. John, <laughs> let's leave it there for a second. Sure. Uh, that's funny. Uh, and take a break. You're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Network, serving the New York Metropolitan Area, Uh, 1350 on your AM dial. Please uh, be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And please be sure to follow Joe and I on Facebook uh, and YouTube at The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. We are going to continue our fascinating conversation um, and the journey uh, of John... Pridmore, uh, we know you're loving this conversation up to this point. Stick around. we got another segment. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello. And we are way, way, way in the breach talking to John Pridmore. So without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Racinello, and we'll continue the conversation.
1: John, you mentioned St. Paul on the other side of the break, you know, how God, you know, Paul obviously went the wrong way, and then God called him. and, And you also, in your prayer, you talked about how, like, God sees us for who we are. I mean, God calls characters. I mean, you're a character, and frankly, so am I and Joe, I mean like, <laughs> and it's kind of interesting how God calls people like that. I remember, cause I've, I've heard you speak a number of times at uh, the friary with the Franciscan Friars of the renewal in Newark. And I remember you telling the story, it always struck me, how you saw a woman, she may have been a prostitute, she was smoking a cigarette and you met her in a bus stop and you basically told her, you know, some good positive words and she started to cry and you said, I'll pray for you every single day the reason why i bring that up is this you know because of your background that's why you went to that person who you saw struggling and the importance of all catholics to reach out and take a chance sometimes too many people walk past christ every day talk a little bit about that encounter and the need for catholics to get out of the boat and reach out to people who need them the most.
2: It is quite interesting, actually. It was actually on my visit to the friars um, that I was um, visiting the friars to see whether I was called um, for a vocation with the CFRs. And it was in um, a part of the Bronx, which is quite notorious for prostitutes. And I was smoking at the time. Um, And, of course, you can't smoke when you join the friars, but you can smoke when you visit the friars. So I had popped out for a cigarette. And um, this girl walks over, and there's a lot of lorry, you know, pulling up, and it's obvious she's a prostitute. And she walks over, and she says, have you got a cigarette for me? And I said, oh, you want a fag? And she said, well, don't say fags in America. Because in England, we call them fags, you know, like the cigarette." And so I, I said, and she said, they're very posh looking cigarettes. I said, well, these are actually bent to the which the queen smokes. And anyway, I gave her a cigarette. And she I said, um, and I remember looking to her eyes, actually. And I felt her eyes were completely dead. You know, where she had given herself away so many times, completely dead. And I said, you know, you remind me of someone. And she said, who? And I said, there was this girl who, you know, really thought this guy loved her. And so she gave herself to him, and he just used her, abused her, and dumped her. And she said, yeah, I've met a lot of guys like that. And I said, but then she met another guy, and she thought maybe he'd treat me better. But he did the same. And eventually she gave up all hope, and she became a prostitute. And she sort of put her head down slightly. And I said, but then she walked into a room one day, and she met a guy who loved her, cherished her, Could see every goodness in her. And she was so overcome that she fell at this guy's feet and she washed his very feet with her tears and she dried them with her hair and she burst into tears. And I said, And that guy is looking at you now, telling you that he loves you, he rejoices in you, and he wants you to be his. And she said, She sort of took my hand and she said, Would you pray for me? And I said, I promise I pray for you every day for the rest of my life and you know when i pray for her i always call her mary mackerel because um, <laughs> i never knew her name but when i looked into her eyes at the end of that conversation there was a light and i think all of us just need to know that we are loved and if we know that if we have that understanding no matter how far down in the gutter we go there's always hope and there's and so that's why i live my life for now i really want that love to be you know that's why I speak in a lot of prisons I speak in a lot of schools I speak in a lot of parishes but you know the tougher the school the tougher the prison the better for me because I feel God wants to reach out to those people who feel there's no hope for them or it's impossible for them to be forgiven like I was that's why I truly believe I was damned and quite rightly but there was hope. There was a, a way back. You
0: know? I think, John, real quick, Joe, I think it's so important just to allude back to what you said earlier and Joe said earlier about reading scripture. We really need to emphasize the Catholics. You know, we need to take our Bible back and meaning we need to open it up. Um, this, you mentioned Zacchaeus. You mentioned uh, St. Paul. You mentioned David. Uh, we had a conversation with Raymond Arroyo a few weeks ago. He wrote a book about Dismas on the cross. Okay. We're talking about, because we want to try to emphasize to people. Okay. One way to emphasize the people who are, let's say not maybe at that level of darkness or sin, but their need to go back to the church, but also to emphasize, you know, some pretty broken people. Dismas on that cross must've thought in his mind, I'm done. I'm finished. And as, as you said, here's the guy next to him who Dismas admits it says he's innocent I deserve my punishment and the way that Christ showers that love and that forgiveness. And then says, you know, this day you will be with me in paradise. It's such an important thing to emphasize to people.
1: John, and and I'm pretty sure you told this story and I heard it in the past, but if I'm wrong, please correct me. But I could recall um, you saying, you know, you go into prisons and you speak to these men and and men, especially in those type of circles, everyone wants to be hard. Everyone wants to be tough. And I remember you saying, and again, please uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that you one time were in such a situation and you knelt before the statue of the Blessed Mother. I loved it. Because that is a curveball, and that makes people, like, all of a sudden, like, you know, everyone's supposed to be a tough guy, and then, you know, you're a big guy, obviously you have a presence, you have a past, they respect you, and then you pull that one. I mean, like, that is great. Talk about the need for humility and the need for people to basically, again, that's taking a chance, that's getting out of the boat. I love it. Could you talk a little bit about it?
2: Sure, yeah. We we went into a prison in um, London. And it's a notorious, it's a Category A prison, which means the guys are in there for 10 years to life. So there's no short sentences, do you know what I mean? And we went in and and this priest must have had some real clout because to get 80 prisoners together is unheard of, normally because they're worried about rioting. But he had 80 prisoners sitting there and they're all tattooed up and you know, been pumping iron, and and you know that whole feeling of total macho ness is so present. And I went in, and I remember I had a girl with me who played the guitar, and a friend Neil, and we went in. And it was in the chapel, and I walked straight down. As I walked in, everything stopped, and you could hear uh, the pin drop. And there was a statue of Our Lady, and I knelt down in my suit at the statue of Our Lady. And I knelt there for five minutes and I was really praying and I just said to our lady what is it that your children need and I felt her say give them hope and you know I got up and I normally give my me and I gave a bit of my testimony and I, I just stopped and I said you know I've sat where you've sat and I've been into all that macho pride trying to fit and I said but I found something so much more powerful I found the gift of love, and I shared some stories, like with that prostitute, like with kids I'd worked with, and you know these so cool guys, you, you've never seen so many tears. And then halfway through my testimony, I stopped, and I told that story about the father. And then this girl played this song on the guitar, which was really about how um, God knows us and He loves us, based on the Psalm, and He created us in the gift of his hand and honestly it was like the holy spirit just descended and one of the guys walked up at the end and they all took books my you know from gangland to promised land my life story because i give them out free at the prisons but one of them walked up and he said there's hope for us isn't there there's hope and i thought well at least blessed mother he understood that gift of hope again but yeah i think that to me it is sharing that love, where, you know, where would Jesus be? You know, in our, you know, judgmentalness sometimes, we can think, well, Jesus wouldn't be there because that, he'd be with the tax collectors, he'd be with the prisoners. You know, when I was in prison, did you visit me? And some of the schools as well, some of the kids I've come across, you know, on drugs in schools, stealing, you know, involved in gangs, and yet to tell them that there's someone who loves them, and has got a much better life for them. To me, it's like giving them hope, giving them that opportunity for life rather than death. You know that Sixth Sense film where the catchphrase in it, I see dead people. Well, I see dead people every day of my life. Everyone who doesn't know Jesus, to me, (laughs) there's just a deadness in them. And I want to bring them out of that deadness like I was, the life i have now i've never been so happy you know i had the honor of meeting saint mother Teresa of calcutta when i was with the friars her father comrade was saying mass for them and so i was able to go meet her and she said something to me that really changed my life she said to me when you give your story you glorify jesus now i'll be honest with you when i was a kid at school I was dyslexic. I couldn't read or write. And you were saying about God causing characters, you know. And, and I couldn't read or write. I've wrote four books. Two of them are bestsellers. One's an international bestseller in 10 different languages now. Um, I, I When I was asked to speak at my brother's wedding as his best man, as a gangster, this hard man, I couldn't put three words together. I was a babbling idiot. I could not speak in public. I was petrified. Now I've spoke to hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of people. You know, just the other year I spoke at World Youth Day in Sydney in the presence of Pope Benedict XVI to half a million young people and didn't even butt an eyelid. And to me, it shows how God can take someone such a mess, so broken and so inadequate in the world's eyes, and say, yeah, but he's mine. And, you know, to me, it's, it, my greatest privilege in my life is to be able to serve my God, to serve Jesus, and to serve his holy Catholic church. And you also spoke about scripture. I love the office. You know I mean? you saying I learned when I was with the friars, visiting them. But, you know, morning, evening, night prayer. Um, I just find that it really speaks to me. And those psalms speak to me as well. And then obviously reading the Bible, you know, you can do it where you do that within a year where they do the, I've just really enjoyed doing that actually. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And so, yeah, for all your listeners out there, I would really, um, you know, say read the Bible, know the Bible, and ask the Holy Spirit before you pick it up as well to read it with you because it's his book. you know.
0: Absolutely. So you're at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Resinello, way in the breach, speaking with John Pridmore.
1: John, Cardinal Cormac Murphy O'Connor, he mentioned something that I thought was interesting. He said the future of Christianity could lie in new movements. We see that within the church. I mean, the Franciscan friars of the renewal are a new movement. Uh, you've worked with Youth 2000. Um, you talked a little bit about that. Uh, even building a small Bible study. Um, do you agree with that assessment? Um, the how the Spirit moves within the church with regard to these little movements of the church um, and how they're moving forward and bringing people in.
2: Very much. I couldn't agree more. I, you know, I remember I st- uh, was involved in a prayer group in Canning Town, and there was two of us you know, in this prayer group. But we faithfully went each week to this prayer group. We just prayed the rosary, had a bit of adoration. Within a few months, it turned into 40, 50 people. And, you know, some of those people were really um, devout Catholics now because of the fruits of that prayer group. And I really see these little gatherings, these little movements, becoming the Rembrandt Church now. Because as we can see, you know... But everyone talks about priests falling, you know, like, you know, not falling um, from virtue, but, you know, the priest numbers falling, like the, the convents are closing, friaries are closing. But to me, there is a remnant church, you know, and the new church, you might as well call it. The ones who are going back to some of the great gifts of the past, like the friars, where they're really taking that gift of St. Francis and his charisma. You know, I've lived with them. There's no luxuries with the friars. I mean, you're sleeping on the floor. You're in your your habit. You know, you're, you're begging the food, not just for you, but for the poor. And they feed the poor before they feed themselves. But, you know, there's something very virtuous about going back to that first connection with God. And so I think the new movements are very much an important part of that remnant, which is the rebuild the church. You mm. know
1: you know it's funny during covid time uh Joe and I you know I'm not going to mention the priest's name but we would go to mass in a parking lot in Shoprite. It was like Our Lady of uh Shoprite. And it was just <laughs> like you said and she a, was there. <laughs> she was, <our> <laughs> a was small there. little group of people would go and this he was an 80 year old priest and he would say mass in the parking lot. So I, I think that's like, you know, it's something to keep in mind, you know, you don't have to be a fancy person to find God, you could, f- f- you know, pray the rosary in small groups, you can meet and discuss the Bible, simple things, simple people, you know, we always forget, you know, Christ called 12 common men they were not fancy guys and well, they changed the whole world
0: i think along the lines of what joe's talking about and what you were alluding to john is there's also that radical trust that we need you mentioned the franciscan friars of the renewal i mentioned the joe before when i was with the franciscans a while ago just before i got married there was a guy his name was aaron he was a realist i'll never forget this guy you see how like people who do things crazy like have radical trust in god you don't forget these people okay he was a real estate broker in chicago wealthy all right young guy very successful dropped everything went to minnesota right he, he got involved with an order and basically what they did was they gave him a bus ticket and like 32 bucks and said here go and he ended up at, at, in the bronx uh, up at uh up at saint anthony's right and i started to would talk to this guy the only reason i'm bringing him up is because you guys were talking about it we need to emphasize a radical trust in god you mentioned saint francis Who's more radically trusting than St. Francis? Guy was wealthy, man. He had it all, okay? Drew it all off, right? Threw all his Goes and hugs the lepers. You don't get more radically trustful than that. I think that's important to emphasize to people the need to increase our trust, to pray for that, you know, increase our radical trust Good in you, me, Lord. Lord.
2: Yeah, I, I remember when I went to, I live in Ireland now, and I've lived here for the last 20 years, and I came to Ireland, And I had a car that someone had gave me. Um, I had £60 in my pocket, which is about, I'd say, $100, and I had a bag of clothes. And honestly, I was completely off God's providence. I've been living off God's providence for the last 20 years. I've never gone without a meal, I've never gone without food, I've never gone without a bed. Now, I set up a community called St. Patrick's Community. We've got a house given by the bishop, we've got cars, everything we've needed, God's gave us. So that scripture reading where it says, do not worry what you are to wear, and do not worry what you are to eat, it's as alive today as it ever was then. Like, I don't charge any money for anything we do as a community, we just ask for a donation because that's our safety net. If we're truly serving God as his evangelist, then he will supply it all that we need, exactly like the friars. And a lot of the charisms of the community are based on the friars. You know, we do a holy hour every day. We go to confession once a week. You know, we really pray the rosary every day, do the office, um, divine mercy. So a lot of the charisms that I saw in the different orders that I stayed with, but especially the friars and the missionary of charity sisters, I put that into our lay community. And it's called St. Patrick's Community. And I must say, uh, Father Benedict Rochelle, who was a great friend of mine, God rest his soul, but he said to me when I was starting the community, make sure you get your charism right. And our charism is pure evangelization. Now the prayer you have to have with the evangelization, but our charism is evangelization. And that's what we do.
0: John, before, because I'm going to want you to mention it at the end, but just in case we're running out of time, where can people go um, online to contribute to your community and and support you?
2: Yeah, you can go to even my website, which is www.johnpridmore.com. Or you can go to the community's website, and they're both the same donation, by the way. All the donation page on mine just goes to St. Patrick's Community, and it's www.stpatrick's Community, all one word, dot i.e. All right.
1: And
2: both of the the donation pages is the same page. And so we would encourage
0: those we websites Thank you John we would encourage all our listeners at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Network please be generous this is a great community as John said pure
1: evangelization. That's what they're doing, that's their charism, and that's what we need more of. Let's talk a little bit more about the community, John. Like, who do you reach out to? Young people? Do you go into prisons? Give us a little bit of a background.
2: Sure. Like, we do a lot of school retreats and school talks. So I would speak to, on average, about 20,000 young people a year. Um, so we, when I go into a school, normally I'd speak to 1,000 kids at a time. And and maybe secondary schools normally. Like I did a tour in Australia and I've done many tours in America as well. So it's not just about in Ireland or England, it's very international. I spoke to seventeen thousand kids in a two-month period in schools in Australia. Australia is a very secular country, mm. but yet the Catholic schools, you know, the kids are there, so they're they're very open, but they need radical talk speaks. Um Radical speeches to get them fired up. So that was a great gift. I've also spoken to prisons, numerous prisons around the world, Hong Kong, Australia, New Zealand, England, America. One of the toughest prisons I've ever been to, actually, is Spofford which you all know in the Bronx in New York, mm-hmm. which is for 12 to 18-year-olds where the friars work a lot and the of Charity Sisters. You know, real tough prison. But, yeah, again, the, I've even done parish missions in prisons where over a three-day period we introduce the prisoners to the sacraments, confession because we have a number of priests who have come in, um, a healing service where the Eucharist, um, Jesus in the Eucharist to come to each person, a bit like, you know, where the woman reaches out and touches the cloak of Jesus and is healed of the hemorrhage, and incredible transformations um, with prisoners. You know, some prisoners first time ever making real honest confessions and tasting God's mercy. We also do a lot of parish missions where we go into a parish and we do um, a three-day mission where God's love, God's mercy, and God's healing, very much based on the sacraments. And we've done f- over 350 parish missions since we started. Um, so, yeah, that's a big part of our ministry as well. John,
1: obviously you've traveled all over the world and you've seen a lot of people who've made some bad decisions. Um you know, we all made bad decisions. It's part of life. The, you know, the key is to learn from them. Um, what do you think is like the the reason? What's behind it? You mentioned love. They don't feel love. Do you think that's why? Say someone goes the wrong way, goes to jail. Le- leave, you know, what do you think?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I, I'm very much affiliated to a community called um, Shanakalo, which is oh, we interviewed uh, uh
0: Albino. And albino's been on the show.
2: Yeah, and so it's a drugs community, and we've got one in not. But Sister Alvira, I always remember this, as being asked by parents, you know, questions. And she was asked about what stops, you know, these young people becoming drug addicts. And she said a lot of the guys who joined my community and girls, they had anything money could buy, but they didn't have love. That The parents didn't spend time with them. The parents didn't, you know, watching telly is not spending time with your kid. And I think a lot of men, for instance, they're not affirmed by their fathers and they don't feel affirmed. And so they try and seek that affirmation in all the wrong places of the world. And so I think the daddy wound is part of it. I think where, but I do think a lot of it comes back to that childhood. That, you know, if you have lost some sort of part of that love or that security in your childhood, then you don't rebel against it as you get older. Some doesn't make rhyme nor reason. You know, some guys, and we know this, but they're the minority. You know, where they have had a good, loving family, um, they're the minority. Because the majority of kids I've worked with who have gone off the wall. It's because they've been very hurt when they're young by their parents or lack of parents.
1: John, you mentioned Mother Teresa. We have about like six minutes left, give or take. Mention, like, who else had a deep impression upon you? I've also been affiliated with the sisters. I never met Mother Teresa, but they've had a very, very deep impact on my own life. Who else, like, that you've encountered in your journey?
2: I I think one of the greatest influences on me was St. John Paul II. Do you know what I mean? Just, um, like, I had the honor of meeting him once, but I was with about... Two a thousand other people, but, you know, so it wasn't a personal encounter. But just, just the, the sense, I'll I, I tell you where it was. It was when I was in St. Louis with the Friars, and I'd already discerned that I was leaving the Friars, and he came there, and w- we had waited all day in this hockey stadium, um, you know, in St. Louis, and he came there, and he got up, and he started his talk. And I'll never forget it. And he started going through all the badness in the world, the horrendous drug addiction, the materialistic greed, the sexual immorality, um, you know, the evil of abortion, all of the terrible scourges in the world. And it was almost getting to the point where you're thinking these waves and waves of negativity. And then he said, but there's one thing, and he just whispered it, and you imagine like 2000 kids all in this stadium and he just and there was probably 80,000 outside. They just whispered, but there's one thing that the darkness cannot put out, and then he roared at the top of his voice, that is the light, the light of Christ. You are the light of Christ. Burn for Christ and burn brightly and never be afraid for the darkness will never overtake the light. And honestly, it was like a wave of grace that I think erupted in every single person who was there. And to me, that was the fire that I received to go out from leaving the friars, which I wasn't called to stay with, and start really evangelizing like I'd never evangelized before. And I believe it was the Holy Spirit through Saint John Paul II commissioning me to do
1: that work. You, Go ahead, Joe. I—I'll be honest with you. Of the the entire 20th century, I think he is the figure. Like in my view, there has not been a single human being that has had a larger impact on humanity in the 20th century as John Paul II. In my view, John.
0: Before we get into any final thoughts, talk about the need for hope. We were talking about the youth. Um, there seems to be in the COVID era. We're seeing it front and center. The lack of hope. People so fearful of dying because they because they don't have any hope. We have about a minute for that and a minute and a half. But then I want to leave you a, a, like a, a little bit of time for you to tell people again where they can find you. Talk sure. about John. The need for hope.
2: Yeah, I, I think each one of us needs that hope, and each and the way I receive hope is through prayer. So if you are out there and you don't have hope in your life, then start praying, start gaining a Mass. You know, I always say that a lot of us, we try everything, you know, in the world, counselors and all this nonsense, yoga, all the nuttiness out there. But one thing we don't try is to give God everything to actually put him first in their lives, to say, okay, well, I've tried it my way. Now I'm going to try it your way. So I'm going to pray like I've never prayed before. I'm going to go to Mass every day. I'm going to go to confession at least once a week, But you know, at least once a week. You know, one kid said to me, by going to confession once a week, he never felt far away from God. Didn't matter how many times he made mistakes, he was never far away from God. To pray the rosary every day, but to give God everything. And when I decided to give God everything, he's able to give me everything. And that hope comes from him. Nothing else in this world gives us hope except God.
0: That's excellent. That's such a great place to end it, John Pridmore. And we're so happy that you came on the show. This is a This is a fascinating conversation, both because of your story, but again, what we did in this last hour was what you guys are doing in your community, which is evangelization. All right, that's what we have to do. John, one more time, where can people contribute to you?
2: Anyone can contribute to my website, www.johnpridmore.com, or St. Patrick's Community's website, stpatrickscommunity.ie.
0: And we would encourage everyone to please give generally to John's organization and his group, because that's what we they're doing. completely <laughs> off God's providence. Absolutely. And John Pridmore, we want to thank you once again for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. And thank you, dear brothers and sisters, for joining us here on the Veritas Catholic Network, bringing the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area. 1350 on your AM dial. Make sure that you download the uh, Veritas Catholic mobile app so that you could have access to all of our station's content. And please also be sure to follow Joe and I on Facebook and YouTube, of course, until they shut us down, which I'm sure they will in the future. But right now, that's where you could find us. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.